You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Welcome to Songs and Sass Season 2. I'm Tara with my fellow host, Jonathan. This episode will cover Tongues of Serpents, Book 6 of the Temeraire series by Naomi Novik. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just as a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the hosts as individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. Okay, so when Tongues of Serpents opens, Lawrence Temeraire and company are already in Australia following a not so fun, but at least uneventful journey. Thankfully, we were spared any lengthy descriptions of that, and the book kicks off with a bang, pow, kerplunch, as Lawrence, Granby, and Tharke basically immediately get into a bar fight because this whole series has become Everybody Hates Lawrence. We soon find out that a brief stop toward the end of their voyage led to the Allegiance picking up William Bly, who was the governor of the colony until he was deposed in a military coup, and is super set on Lawrence, with the help of Temer, of course, restoring him to his position. On the other hand, we have Colonel John MacArthur, who orchestrated the rebellion and kind of just wants Lawrence to stay out of it while they wait for a decision from the powers that be in London. You'd think that was enough nonsense for our fated pair, but of course there has to be more. Not long after they arrive, Captain Rankin, yes, that Rankin, shows up to claim one of the eggs from the Allegiance and take command of the Australia covert they mean to establish. Of course, Temerer wants no part of this and even attempts to talk to the Dragonette, which is the child of the Turkish ferals, Arkady and Ringe in its egg and convince it to reject Rankin. In a weird twist of events, or maybe not considering how Iskirka turned out after Temerer talked to her while she was in her egg. When the dragonet hatches, he accepts Rankin because, well, he's rich. Though he does choose his own name, that being, wait for it, Caesar. Yes, after that Caesar. And Caesar is greedy and Rankin is his usual wannabe superior self, so we suppose they deserve each other in the end. Soon MacArthur requests that the aviators and their dragons head out on an expedition to find a pass from Sydney through the mountains. And because Lawrence wants to stay out of local politics and wants to keep Rankin out of them as well, they head out. But in true Temerary series fashion, this is no simple expedition as they take with them a group of prisoners meant to help them carve out a path, Tharke, who wants to track down a smuggling ring operating out of China, and both of the remaining dragon eggs. Unfortunately, they're already having a shit ton of difficulty finding any sort of way through the mountains when the real trouble begins. The Yellow Reaper Egg is stolen by Aborigines, who lead, an, who lead the expedition on a frantic chase across the whole dang continent, a chase that is punctuated by the dangers of the Australian desert, firestorms, actual storms, and apparently not-so-mythical bunyips who create waterholes as bait and snatch people away in the night and eventually even divert the water to create quicksand traps for Temeraire. To make matters worse, when the remaining egg does finally hatch, the dragonet, an experimental cross between a Parnassian and a checkered nettle, is a sickly runt who can't even fly. Rankin wants to give it a quick and humane ending, which Lawrence disagrees with, though in another slightly surprising turn, Temerer actually doesn't. Thankfully, Domain steps up to claim the dragon, naming him Cullingyle, and promising to care for it himself, which he does to the best of his ability. Though Cullen Guile eats like a horse or like a dragon, ha ha ha, and draws, sorry, and grows at a tremendous rate, eventually developing the buoyant sacks that allow dragons to fly. While Cullen Guile can only sort of float along at first, and wow, picturing that is hilarious, and little treat. Uh, Dorset, the dragon surgeon, explains that only the heaviest of heavyweights ever exhibit negative total body weight this way. To say Domain was rewarded for saving Cullingyle is an understatement, though the announcement that the dragon will be on the Maximus Exidium level causes its own problems, as now the officers who dismissed him at first start trying to, well, steal him from Domain. Oh, real quick, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Kalingale. Okay, of course, yes. of course Kalingale... I is best, he's a, he's a big behemoth, too, or behemoth, <laughs> is best big little boy and refuses, though granted this will probably cause more problems in the future because of racism and shit, but for now, Domain and his dragon are safe and together, and it's probably not going to turn out well for anyone who tries to separate them. 
After what seems like far too long, seriously, why with the unnecessary long travelogues in this series, the British finally catch up with the egg thieves. But by the time they arrive on the northern coast, th thus discovering the source of the smuggling ring, a port operated jointly by the Lacaria people? No, no, Larakia people? How, do we, how would you pronounce that? I'm not even sure. I think it's Larakia or Larakia. Larakia? Yeah. The Larakia people in the Chinese. The egg has hatched. The dragon has named herself Tharunka, and she has bonded with the Larakia and refuses the British offer to join them instead. Despite this development, though, things seem to be going swimmingly for a bit. Tharunka and Temera work together to establish okay. diplomatic ties between their people. And, of course, the Chinese immediately fawn over Temera and Lawrence. But it's not all well that ends well yet, of course. A British ship arrives with orders to seize the port, and the ensuing fight is, well, quite a mess. It turns out the smugglers had essentially trained sea serpents to transport goods from China to Australia. But when the British ship starts mounting its attack, all it takes is Tharunka dumping some fish guts all over the ship for the serpents to go after it. While Tharunka does end up helping Temeraire, Caesar, Iskirka, and Cullingyle carry some of the sailors to safety, obviously the British are no longer welcome there and have to head back to Sydney which they reach just in time to find that the governor's replacement has arrived from England and is already planning to fight the Chinese for control of the smuggling port. But this just leads to another rebellion. MacArthur is put back in charge. Skirka receives orders to head off to Brazil to counter Napoleon's plans there, and Lawrence and Temer decide to seek a quiet retirement in the Australian countryside. Not that we really believe that this will last long. So, yeah, we got a bunch more uh, different kinds of dragons. Uh... Caesar is is kind of we don't really know what he is right like they don't know what breeds Arcady and Ringe are. They're yeah, just he's just barrels. a well. So he's he's the children of two mutt dragons, and he's a mutt himself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, uh, mutts on mutts on mutts. Uh, and I mean, he's he's I guess I guess he's going to be like a middleweight probably. I mean, he's he's definitely better quote unquote better you know for for lack of a better word than what rankin he's better in rankin's mind than um than his previous dragon who was just a messenger dragon i suppose because this one can actually fight uh, fight yeah um although i don't know we learned in the last book that even the little ones can fight if they really want to um but yeah i mean <laughs> the fact that this 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 dragon who was born of two wild dragons and also got a talking to or ten <laughs> from Temeraire while he was in the egg, uh, actually just gay like, like hatched and immediately was like, yeah, no, I'm totally cool with uh, this guy and obeying him because um, money. He's rich. Yeah, <laughs> like like wow, dude. Like I guess I guess that might have been. I I I read this book weeks ago i finished reading it weeks ago so I, I could be wrong but maybe it was like i'm wondering if i miss not remembering that iskirka might have had something to do with that like she might have been yeah also talking to the egg yeah or 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 he was just in the egg overhearing all of their conversations and like iskirka constantly like bragging about being rich and granby and being rich and <laughs> taking prizes and everything so he came out of the egg just really appreciating the finer things in life yeah yeah uh, well i and to be fair rankin immediately started like feeding him the like most expensive thing he could find in australia which is i believe sheep uh <laughs> so that was like it, it's i don't think that what lawrence said to rankin back in book one really changed you know anything about who Rankin is as a person, you know? Um, but maybe he did learn a little bit of a lesson because he, or at the very least, he's just been so long without, because I think that's something Lawrence thinks about is like, oh, well, he's been so long without a dragon. Maybe he's just finally so grateful to have one again. But I mean, even, I'm, let's be like throughout the whole book, he doesn't stop taking care of Caesar. And part of me wonders if, if he did, whether Caesar would would actually kind of be like, hey, man, what's up? Like, what the fuck? You know? I suspect so. I mean, Lawrence did mention the reason he thinks Rankin's better towards him is because there's no, there's no society for him to hang out in. So it's like there's nothing better to do. That, that was mentioned by Lawrence. 
Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's treating him better, but is he only doing that because there's absolutely nothing to do in this godforsaken place? Yeah, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's like a, a million, maybe not a million. There's definitely a bunch of reasons why things are good for you know Caesar right now, and and to be honest, like he's annoying. Uh. Which is so funny because, like, Iskirka is terrible a lot of the time, but, like, I still love her, you know? Uh, whereas Caesar is terrible and I don't like him. And I, it's, it's like, is it because he's obedient to, like, a character I don't like or because he's, I don't know. How do you feel? Like, did, how do you feel about, like, Caesar versus Iskirka? Do you have a, a preference? Well, Iskirka is an out-of-control lunatic. And Caesar's just still not grown up yet. I mean, Ascarica's a young dragon, but she's now been years, right? It's not, she's not right out of, just hatched. And she's right. still an out-of-control lunatic. But Caesar's just out of the egg, so it's too early to say what he'll be. I mean, Temerer has changed over the course of these books in his behavior, and his uh, he's evolved. So... He hasn't evolved like the 100 and 200 year old dragons we meet later in the series and, or earlier in the series, depending on which books it is. But although, to be honest, like we we don't really know how much they evolved. Uh, maybe maybe they have recently just because of Temerer's influence on things, but we don't really know how much like Exidium has evolved because it's it's. I mean, I'm sure he has a little bit, but you know, they had their dragons hatch and this is what happens from like moment to moment after they hatch. Like they but, had, they but had Exidium their is not that old either. Right. I mean, Exidium no, is still on, been... on his first captain. Is she, is she his first? I honestly don't remember. I mean, that was my assumption because I mean, and Exidium is a long wing, right? Uh, he must be. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a, a I mean, it doesn't have to be a woman, but I, so she no no he's a he's a heavyweight I think yeah but aren't long wings heavyweights aren't they the smaller smallish heavyweights they might be yeah um, I, I I'm looking it up now because I'm, I'm really I'm really They're mad on the small that... side of the heavyweights yes he is a long wing okay yeah I think I think he might be yeah he's there on the smaller side and I think he also they might be considered heavyweights where they if they were. If they were, if they didn't have the acid spitting, they might not be considered heavyweights. Like I think they're they're he the heavyweight term with them is less about how big they are and more about the fact that they are the only prior to Iskirka, they were the only dragons in Britain who had like or, well prior to Iskirka and Temerary, I guess they were the right exactly. Um, so yeah, I I I figure it's like I had to look that up because like I feel like we've been. It, it, they, they've used that term heavyweight so much and it's almost always applied to like dragons like Maximus that it, it, I forget that long wings who they aren't super small, but they aren't really, really big. They certainly aren't like max Maximus size either. Um, I, I forget like that they're just considered heavyweights because they're special, which is fine. You know, I must admit of, of all the books of this series, this was my least favorite. Really? Yeah, I just thought it went on and on and on and on as they ran th through one random monster encounter to another in the outback. Uh, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, honestly, the 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 <laughs> sh Naomi Novik brought back that that lengthy, unnecessary travelogue with a vengeance in this book. Um, it is not my least favorite of the series. I I liked uh, I liked a lot of. I liked a lot of what happened outside of their little travelogue. Um, but it is, I, I mean, and I, I think there were a lot of really great revelations and like different things happening at the beginning and at the end, you know what I mean? Like um, Caesar, you know, surprising us by hatching and being what he was um, everything with killing who hatched and, and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to put him down because he they thought he was useless um, as dragons go and like it turns and it's, it's like as soon as that happened i was like he ain't gonna be useless like i knew it you know but it was still nice to see that like domain like got got his you know just rewards there in the best way possible um that i mean the fact that Thurunka, uh you know, the, the Aborigines stole the egg and had her for had it for so long, and then she hatched, 
And she was just like, yeah, these are my people now. Like they talked to me while I was in the shell and they told me when I hatched what they wanted me to do. And like, I don't want to leave. Um, but yeah, the, the, the travel log was, was just, it was a lot in this one. Um, I still prefer tongues of serpents over any of the first three books. Uh, I would say it's actually, I would say it's probably on par with, um, throne of Jade book two, uh, where they, where they go to China. But I, I mean, I didn't like their little sea, you know, sea journey travel log in that one. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know. Do you, I, I know we've talked about this before when it comes to these books, but do you, do you agree with me that I feel like a lot of it, like, I know Nami has said she thinks it's just, this is Naomi Novik's style maybe, or it was her style with this series. But I really think that these travel log things, they get so bogged down that it feels to me like they're just like, she, all of these books are basically the, the exact same length. And it feels like she includes these travel logs as needed to fill pages. Uh, that could be. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's no way of knowing for but, sure. I mean, some people like these endless travel log stories. I mean, I, 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 I'm much more a plot driven person yeah, in too. my books. Um, plot and dialogue are what do it for me. Mm. Uh, you know, descriptions of countryside is not necessary to me. And, and again, r random encounters that don't really move the plot forward. Don't really do it for me either. Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Um, I, I mean, I like, I like, you know, to an extent, the flowery descriptions and the, you know, where you're, you're, you know, it's, I don't know, like, 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 like Martin, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like that's not flowery with him really, but there's a lot of that, like, kind of extraneous, you know, descriptors of like the surrounding areas and stuff in his books. But with his books, it just feels like world building. Whereas with these, like I said, it's just a travel log. And I mean, part of that might be because it's a real world versus a, a fantasy world. That uh, we're more interested in learning yeah. about the world building of Martin than we are of knowing what Australia looks like in the 1800s, because we already know what Australia looked like in the 1800s. Or at least I already know what Australia looks well, like in the 1800s. I've been to Australia. I know what Australia looks like. But also, I mean, like, I, I mean, and Tolkien does it too, but like, I, I think it's less that it's, that it's a fantasy world because let's be real, like, especially Martin, like there, there's nothing, there's not that much magical about the world of A Song of Ice and Fire, like, like in the first, like when we're traveling through Westeros, you know what I mean? It gets a little bit, it, things are a little bit different when, you know, we get into the later books and everything, but like. It's it's I think it's less that it's a fantasy world, but more that he does a really good job. And 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 Tolkien does too, for the most part, of punctuating the, you know, sort of descriptors of of of, of the world, you know, that 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 sort of that type of world building. He they do a good job of punctuating it with I mean, and shoot, so did um uh, uh NK Jemison in the Broken Earth trilogy of of you know punctuating it with plot and dialogue. And I just like with with the with these books and honestly i agree with you like this one this one was it yeah the the, the there were painful parts the bunyips thing was crazy to me and that that was something i wanted to talk about because like i really thought that they were just crocodiles uh like that this, this was the temer like the world with dragons version of crocodiles that they are sentient and they work together and stuff like that but then i looked it up and they're actually a thing they're they're like i mean they're a it, mythological it, it, creature in, in aboriginal mythology yeah. right exactly um i think like the the definition or the current the, the word is translated by like aboriginal australians today as devil or evil spirit um and you know but yeah they they, they lurk in like swamps and and billabongs and creeks and riverbeds and water holes and so i mean naomi novik might have taken the little bit of mythology she knew or could find about these and, you know, expounded upon it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just assumed that these were essentially the local dragon species. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess, I guess, but, yeah, that's, that's what they are. That's really. how I interpreted it. And, but they're a ground bound dragon species. Yeah. 
yeah, uh, I guess more like or, or an under or an underground dragon's deal. Yeah, and if you look up like the the pictures of them online, are oh, I haven't done that. Uh, yeah, they they there's a lot of different versions of what they look like, but um, they usually have hair. Uh, some of them look almost like saber tooth tiger type animals. Some of them are a lot more like skeletal, like uh, like it looks like almost like a crocodile head with like ears and like this like weird skeletal body. Like some of them have looked like, like just walruses with like canine fangs. I mean, it's, but no matter what, none of them look like I felt they were described in this Book, especially book the ones that are like hairy. Well, here's is, one. Here's one that sort of looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, I, I mean, and I well, I guess that's what that's more. They're more like dinosaurs than dragons because, like you said, they're they're ground bound. But um, but yeah, I, I was I was I really I I just assumed that they were like crocodiles that they were crocodiles, but they were this this world's version of crocodiles. So finding out that they're actually like a mythological creature, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. Uh, I wish that the pictures I'd seen, you know, did justice to like the way they are in the book, but <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about it. I just read. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, when they first started mentioning them and like they, the people were just being snatched away from the water hole at night, that's when I was like, okay, they're, they're crocodiles, right? They're just crocodiles, like snatching people away and they've got this weird name for them. Like I, you know, the Aborigine, the Aboriginal, you know, peoples, like they call them bunyips, but they're just crocodiles. So yeah, it was, it was just a, it was a very, I, I went down a little bit of like a rabbit hole, you know, Googling them and, and, and reading about them and stuff. So it was a, it was an interesting experience. I like, Hey, thank you, Naomi Novik. This book like taught me something about Australia. Um, I had no idea existed, but yeah, I mean the, the fact that they, uh, they created like the quicksand trap. And then afterward they were like the, you know, Lawrence and them are like, well, let's see if we can just like make them an offering. <laughs> and uh, they did. Right. And yeah. they, they, they just kept making them offerings and they basically got left alone. I mean, so they, they aren't entirely evil, I guess. Like they'll, they'll back off if you give them something better to do. <laughs> but yeah, so uh yeah i don't know the, the the travelogue stuff in this was just oh plotting 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 was long and not nearly as funny as bill bryson <laughs> i mean it really wasn't it wasn't interesting really like, like you know it's like they kept you know naomi never kept throwing like the bunyips were one thing and then um the firestorm was you know happened and then the actual, like, well, maybe it was the thunderstorm first and the firestorm second. Well, I can't the thunderstorm was caught, caused the firestorm. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. So, 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 but this, like, these extreme extremes of, of weather, and I'm, I, you know, I don't, you know, I'm assuming that these are based on real things, obviously, that, that happen in Australia. Um, I've never really looked into Australia's weather patterns, but I know it gets very, very hot down there. Um, you know, it, 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 yeah, it just felt like, I, like I said, man, it, it was, it's filler pages. There was no reason we needed this to be that long, uh, just describing them, you know, trekking across the continent. And then, especially when it was punctuated at, you know, at either end by so much happening, it just felt like, you know, when they were in the jungle. Uh, or the, the the forest, whatever, trying to find the mountain pass. I was like, so this is the travel log bit and it's going to get better soon, right? And no, it just got worse. Yeah. The one thing I did not understand at all, again, from someone who's actually been to Australia, is how when you have air, essentially air power, they had any trouble finding the Aborigines from the air when they were going through the outback. I understand if they were still in the Blue Mountains, which mm -hmm. is the mountain chain that they were trying to get across. Right. Um, why that would be difficult, but once they were in the outback, there's nothing there. It's a desert. There's no. There's nowhere to hide. Really. I mean, the, I the, they, think they could have hid hidden from them. Eventually, think, they would have been spotted. I just 
Yeah, I mean, I think the reasoning was, and I, I mean, I don't disagree with you that it was like, oh, come on. I think the reasoning was that the the people that stole the egg just got so far ahead of them at some point that, uh, you know, and, and of course they could only stray so far off of what they assumed yeah. was the beaten path. Um, yeah, I mean, the aborigines are known to be able to just like go and in, hide into the rocks when it's when they're in the on the ground and they're and hide from other people on the ground. But again, right. once you can get airborne, I just don't see it being feasible. <laughs> yeah, I mean it it was a lot. It was a lot. Um I mean it, well and then they get they get to um the rock formation. It's Uluru is the Aboriginal name for it and that's what they now use again. So yeah, and, th and that's when they, they finally catch up with them, only to see, you know, uh, I think her name is Shen Li, the, uh, you know, the new breed of, of Chinese dragon, like, take off. And she's so fast and can fly for so long. And it's like, obviously, this this makes sense. And I think, you know, it, it came up in terms of um, how they're they're getting, you know, messages back and forth from China, you know, to this port quickly and, and, and everything, but we're able to do it at all really. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I really hope this comes up again soonish because otherwise if it was just like this, like point of plot convenience in this particular book so that they would catch up to the Aborigines, but just in time to like, basically lose the race to this, you know, dragon who can fly faster and farther than any dragon that's ever existed before. It's just very plot convenience type thing. And then it turns out that she, you know, as, as dragons go tamer is kind of like, she's not even interesting. Like she doesn't have like you know how to hold a conversation. <laughs> like this poor, this poor new dragon. I'm, I really want to know more about how they bred her, honestly. Like what led to Shen Li? because they don't really describe that. They say that they were doing all these experiments and she was one of very few who actually like came out of it and, and was able to be, you know, utilized the way they utilize her. But they're very vague for, for a series that for nobody is very vague about how she came to be for a series that has gone, you know, you're talking about the, the long range dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Like she was, a, she was just way more vague about her like existence and how she came to be and and what what sort of dragons they bred to to get to this point um, than she usually is, I guess. Uh, I mean, listen, we just got this thorough description of what comes out of a Parnassian and a whatever the other one, spike Cornish spike hen or whatever. I well, but I mean, in this case, though, she's followed the, you know, given us a number of different breeds of European breeds and mentioned them over and over and over again. Other than Imperials and Celestials, we don't really know much about Chinese dragons at all. So these about what the breeds are. So would it mean anything to us at this point anyway? If she did. Maybe. <laughs> I it, it it well I mean I don't know we know we know about all the main ones that they use I guess it, I I don't know I it was it was mostly just like a you know this was a dragon that didn't you know we're basically told didn't exist until very recently right. and like she's already grown and able to do this stuff and it's like okay but how <laughs> well but Temera grew really fast too I mean yeah these dragons yeah, I mean, grow I mean you know obviously it's for plot convenience but. As far as I can tell, these dragons grow way too fast and don't eat nearly enough. I mean, based on the size that they're described at, I think they would have to eat even more than they're eating. Yeah, you're probably not wrong there. Like, <laughs> they, they talk about how many, like, cattle or whatever Temeraire eats in a day. And it's like, I don't know, it's like one if it's a bad day, like two if it's a good day. That doesn't seem like enough when he's supposed to be as big as he is. But um, I mean, well, and then you've got like Caligula, who is like just constantly starving and they're feeding and feeding and feeding him. But what they're feeding him is like, you know, Domain is doing his best. But what he's feeding him is like scrawny ass kangaroos and like uh, the whatever the, the bird or whatever that they keep catching and, and stuff like that. It's like, how, how, yeah. do you, 
fatten up at all. <laughs> well, maybe I'm wrong. I'm actually looking at the size of killer whales and how, how much food they eat in a day. And they eat about 375 pounds of food a day. Okay. So, and a killer whale, I think, is about, ten, you know, gets as big as 10 tons, but more often less. But. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I <laughs> I don't know. But you're, I, I, I guess maybe it, it, I don't know. Well, when they were feeding Temer fish at sea and they're talking about these tunnies that they, that they keep catching and like, I, I don't even know what the heck kind of a fish that is uh, or if it actually ex like, I guess it exists, but uh, I looked it up at one point and like, you know, it, it, basically they, they, it's like a tuna. Yeah. Uh, so a I don't know. Tuna is about 500 pounds. It can get as big as 500 Okay. Pounds. So maybe this is, this is, and, I, and yeah, this is the 18, early 1800s when, you know, the waters weren't just fish to death and everything, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose I'll give them that. Um, but the yeah. Cows I mean, are about 1,200 pounds each. Right. I'm just looking right. at this, blue, blue whales eat 2,000 to 9,000 pounds of plankton a day. Oh, my God. That's so much plankton. <laughs> So, How is there still that much plankton in the world, honestly? So, um, if based on that, you figure these dragons have to eat, you know, on average, three cows a day, two cows a day. Yeah, or, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's not completely off from what they actually do eat. Um, I mean, shoot, when when Caesar is born, he's being fed whole sheep. <laughs> so yeah, so we get all these new dragons. We get, you know, we get Caesar the mutt. Uh, and we, who, who actually turns out to be like, I'm just going to follow my jerk Captain Rankin and his dumb rules. Uh, you know, and then we get Killing Lay, who is this spiny, weird dragon who's going to be so big. I mean, I, you know, the way Dorset describes it, he's going to be, uh, like regal copper size or maybe larger. Bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's but right just, now he was acting sort of as a helium balloon. Mm-hmm. Once he got which his was, air sacs, he couldn't control his. Which buoyancy. was, I, I definitely chuckled out loud at that a few times when they were talking about how he just like floats along. And I'm like thinking of like a little kid with a balloon, you know, <laughs> like at a theme park and the balloon is just shaped like this weird dragon. And it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it was only like a few times that it was really like, like, described but every single time I, I got a really good chuckle out of it so i'll 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 that 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 at least gave me that little extra punctuation to uh this long ass fucking travel log of a book um well here's a question what did you how did you feel or what did you think about the like political stuff that happened at the beginning and the end now I, you know i i do want to come back at I mean, the they based this, this on real history. I mean, right, right, of course. Captain Block did go to, was sent to Australia after the bounty, the bounty mutiny years later, and mm -hmm. was known as a disciplinarian who got overthrown basically by the local populace. So that all was consistent. Obviously, you've just thrown in dragons into the mix. Um, I did find it. I think it was Granby who's like, well, this is like the fourth mutiny on the guy. I, I, I don't think he can, you know, the, the population is completely blameless here as far as mutinying. They might have a reason. Yeah. It, well, I mean, and also um, they send in the new guy at the end whose name escapes me at the moment. Yeah, they got rid governor. of him very fast too. Right. And is that, so I, I, that I, also I did, happened. Yeah. Okay, it did because I knew, I knew that there'd been you know all that unrest and like like someone getting overthrown a bunch of times. But I thought it was like the same guy, and eventually they just gave up. I didn't realize like they just they sent someone new in, and the local the I mean they're not locals, they're still British. You know, they're still like MacArthur says, like we're still loyal to the king. We're just going to govern ourselves because we're literally on the other. side. It takes us eight months, seven eight months to receive word from you know, London yeah. about anything. So legit, like legit complaint there, honestly. But yeah, so like I knew that it was obviously like based on real history, at least to an extent. I wasn't quite sure about, you know, the thing at the end. I, I don't have any idea. I didn't look up really anything about MacArthur or Bly as people. Um, so, you know, just when Lawrence goes to to visit like the MacArthur's, you know, 
home and uh he you know he's saying like this is these are like kind of like real people like down to earth like good people um it's it's I, I don't know. It was it was a it was very it was very interesting, I guess, to see only what what I only know of as sort of a brief description. I've never really had any reason to look deeply into Australian history, but like this brief description of what happened over there. Um, but like, imagine if I guess imagine if in this in, in these books. Uh, in, they hadn't gone on this expedition and instead it had just been like this fight between like Rankin and Caesar and Bly versus like MacArthur and Lawrence and Temer. Like I almost think I rather would have preferred that. Although I liked that they got to the ports, the, the new, the like new secret port and like dealt, like got to see like the smuggling ring stuff at the end. Like, ugh, God, that whole, the, 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 I just feel like there could have been so much more done with this story and their time, at least the beginning of their time. Yeah, I, mean, I think they could have done more with the politics of it. It was very, it to was me, very that fun. would have been more interesting than the travel log, but for sure. I mean, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Tharky, I, I don't quite understand. I still haven't figured out why Tharky was so quiet on what his real reasons for being there were, at least to Lawrence. I mean, I understand why he wouldn't tell Bly or MacArthur or, or even Rankin, but yeah, you know, he'd been around Lawrence enough that it seems like that was just not helping the situation. Yeah, but I mean, I guess that's kind of how how he's always been. You know, it was it was in character for him to be just sort of doing his own thing and a little, you know, a little bit or a lot, a lot of the time, secretive about it. Um, I, 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 it wasn't out of character for him, so I'll, I'll give I'll give them that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it just did seem very silly that it's like he waited as long as he did to be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here for the smuggling thing, BT dubs, <laughs> because especially, especially, especially after, you know, they're, they're just stuck in the mountains for so long and, and, you know, I don't know. It, duh, like I said, I, <sighs> I really, really hoped that when they were stuck in the mountains, that was like the worst we were going to have to deal with in terms of just filler. But no, no, somehow that was the least of it. <laughs> I mean, the, the the political ram of you know getting going further once they get and find the smugglers and fit, realize that it's actually a Chinese essentially colony that is in trading posts that's up up in Darwin, mm -hmm. um, or what become what becomes Darwin in the real world. The fact that they were using the trained sea serpents was interesting because that, quite honestly, totally changes the military and political ramifications of sea power. Yeah, although... I mean, if you have trained sea serpents and you have lots of them, it's now, even if they're somewhat feral, but you can they're trained enough to go after certain things, just dumping fish guts on a ship and having them attack whatever ship they want to attack to attack is not good yeah in, in mass i mean there's just no defense against that yeah well it's it, it's a really and that yeah i definitely wanted to, to get into that because it's a really weird it's like okay this is a really cool thing that they did that they were able to because the sea serpents they're they're old they're intelligent to a point you know what i mean they're not like they're not they don't speak they don't they're they're still wild animals they're no dragons they're no bunyips even but, you know, they were able to, over time, and I mean, they talked about, you know, how it, it was difficult and, uh, you know, if something goes, like, they still lose, lose them, yeah. they lose shipments, they, you know, not just the leaks or whatever, that they yeah, just they wander lose shipments, off. But they lose shipments with regular ships, too. I mean, this exactly. is not. Oh, yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, what I was saying, what I mean is just, like, they, they've got a really good thing going, but. It all, it really all goes to shit because the, the sea serpents, like I said, they are basically just wild animals um, and like very lightly trained wild animals. And, you know, the, losing a little bit of shipment here and there is one thing. But when they talked about the time it takes, it took to like get this many trained and stuff like that. And then they, they use the fish guts, you know, to like get them to attack the, sh the British ship in the end, the one that's, you know, coming after the port. Um, but in, in that 
you know, fight, they see a bunch of them die. The ones that don't die, I don't think they can count on them just coming back to do their quote unquote job real easily. Like they're going to have to probably start almost from scratch, if not entirely from scratch, uh, in this endeavor. So it's like, it's good when it's easy and going well, but the moment they actually have like a fight on their hands and that's their only line of defense, it kind of collapses their whole system, at least for a while. Um, I'm sure they'll, you know, I mean, we see that they've already, they, they already had other serpents trained and they're already like going like all the way towards Sydney right. uh, at the very end of the book. But um, it's still, you know, it's 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 a very very imperfect. Yeah, but to say the least. yes, but they were also at Sydney, and they were also implying it was a potential threat to the Allegiant and the others. They were worried about another attack. I mean, it is a potential threat uh, if they're threatening them. I guess you know. I, I mean, it seems to me that they don't. It's a potential threat if if the people who are doing the smuggling are being threatened for sure because they will turn this they will just throw their whole like that part of their operation away essentially and 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 like they will do that if they have to which I get but uh at the same time like it's only a threat if they're being attacked because of the fact that if they do have to fight back they are you know losing a whole bunch of their sea servants <laughs> They're losing, they're losing their ships, essentially. Um, so yeah, it's a very, it was very interesting. Uh, it was very interesting, the description of how they were smuggling the goods. And I like that they went there. I like that they brought the sea serpents back as something other than just a random threat to ships on the seas. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I and honestly, like, they're not really doing anything bad. They aren't. Like all they're doing is like subverting the stupid, obnoxious British like taxes, which well, I can't really blame anybody well, for. Not, not exactly. I mean, it depends on what you. In theory, the British government has an agreement with the Chinese government to give a monopoly to these companies. In theory, so while these Chinese smugglers are operating, it it seems clear that they're operating with the permission of the Chinese government. So the Chinese government is really not being honest with the British from that perspective. Now, the Chinese, you know, going back to the gunboat diplomacy of the, the British and the Chinese at the time, it was sort of forced upon the Chinese to accept these, these terms in the real world. But I can't imagine that would actually be true in the, in this world when the Chinese have dragons out the wazoo. So <laughs> it's. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, and, and then again, like we see that the Chinese are, you know, sort of, I, I mean, they're, they're doing all these experiments. They're creating these, you know, they, they already have all this dragon power. And uh, I honestly haven't looked up anything about the last three books in the series. I don't even know what they're called off the top of my head, but I imagine that you haven't read them yet. I take it. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, uh, since we're not covering the last three books of the Temer series until starting in like ooh, November, yeah, I jumped, uh, the, I jumped the gun and started to read the next one. I finished the next one actually. But, um, you know, I haven't really looked into anything about them. You know, of course we know at the end of this book, uh, Iskierka is being sent to Brazil um, because that's something that comes up only like briefly. It, it, it's it's sort of it's it's a it's a tell it's a tell not show situation where they're saying you know that Napoleon has has aligned with the uh, uh, the the African tribe from Empire of Ivory. I can't remember what they're called, but the, the Napoleon is aligned uh, with that. I think. Yeah, they, they, they came across the Mediterranean. Napoleon aligned with them. They did a bunch of attacks on the Spanish, and then he sent them all over to Brazil, you know, I guess on his dime to go, you know. and, and After the Portuguese. Right. Conference. Well, to go after their the Portuguese, but also to try to find their um, their people, their people, which who, who are probably mostly like gone at this point as, as you know, is described in this book. Uh, but but it, also gets, it also gets them away, those 
away from potentially bothering Napoleon in Europe. Right. Of course. And, and, you know, they're, they're, you know, so Esquerca is being sent to Brazil to deal with this situation at the end of Tongues of Serpents. And uh, Lawrence and Temeraire are, you know, they found toward the beginning of this book, right before, I think it was right before the egg was stolen, maybe, they found this little valley and they had this, the cute little moment, you know, where Lawrence is like, you know, it would, it would be nice to build for once instead of tear away. And Temer wants to build Lawrence a magnificent pavilion to console him. Yeah, I mean, they were going to um, go into, they were going to basically become ranchers. Yeah, and 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 that's that's how this book ends. The very end is, you know, Lawrence telling Temer that, you know, there, there's there's an ugly character to to like what we've been forced to do. Or what's the work that has been found for us is what he says. But like, there's, there's, there's the things they've been doing are bad. And, um, you know, Lawrence and Temeraire, mostly because of Temeraire, Lawrence is constantly trying everybody's patience, like all the people who are trying, you know, who, who are above him. And, you know, he says he's sick of the quarrels of nations and kings, you know, and he, he, if, if Temeraire is content with staying in their valley, then Lawrence would be content there too. Now, of course, I don't at all believe that that is going to happen for good at all. Um, otherwise, there would not be three more books in this series. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Scare goes off to Brazil. They've got their valley in Australia. And, you know, I guess like if you, if you were going to, if you were tired of this series and you were going to stop reading it, this would probably be a good place to do it only because then you could tell yourself that maybe Lawrence and Temeraire really did just settle in Australia <laughs> and like live in their valley and have a lovely old time of it. But, you know, at the same time, there's, there's still, there's still Napoleon and there's still, well, shoot. I mean, it's it's like eighteen. What is it now? Eighteen oh nine, probably. Like and so the War of eighteen twelve is coming up real quick. <laughs> and I do, I do believe there's a book. You know, one of the last three books in the series is titled something, and I haven't looked at anything up. And don't spoil me if it is. But one of the last three books in the series is titled something where I'm like, ah, they're going to America, going to America. <laughs> <laughs> um well, it's gone everywhere else around the world so but i mean after after the australian travelogue that this book is that, that, that makes up like 40 percent of this book if you were really tired of the temporary series i think you could end it here and be okay with that honestly so. well no you can't because the war is not over yet true true i mean i guess but we do all know what happens to napoleon <laughs> no we know what um, happens in our world we well, don't know right. what happens in this world. True. True. <laughs> now, well, and also, I guess, like, as I, I mean, honestly, like, like Lawrence and Temer could really just live out their lives in Australia, and the rest of the series, despite it being called the Temer series, like, there's still, I mean, Domain and and Caligula, Iskirka and Granby. Um, you know, th- there's, there's definitely a lot of. I, I, I guess to be honest, despite it being called the Temera series, I feel like it would be very easy to expand. only sort of yeah to expand or to maybe only sort of briefly revisit Temera and Lawrence. Um, I don't think that's actually going to happen, but uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I don't really have that much else to say about this book no i'm pretty good with it i know i know you said you said it was your least favorite of the series so far <laughs> yes and and i have read further and the next book is much better <laughs> well that's good to know uh like i said i did not like it as much as i liked um empire of ivory or victory of eagles uh i would put it on par with throne of jade you know where they go to china um, I, I liked it better than I liked the first and third book, whose names I can't even remember. That's how little I cared about them. Wait, they're right behind me. Black Powder War and His Majesty's His Majesty's Dragon being the first one, Black Powder War being the third one. But yeah, the 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 travelogue stuff just I, stop it with the filler. They don't. All these books don't need to be exactly three hundred. 
20 pages or whatever they are, you know? I would have taken this book with a more, this book would have been easier to swallow with a much shorter version of their trek throughout Australia. Fair enough. I agree with you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that note, um, we are actually taking a nice long break uh, because I and uh, Nami as well will be at Dragon Con over Labor Day weekend. Um, thankfully, they did institute a uh, you have to be vaccinated or have a negative, very recent negative COVID test. So I'm a little bit more excited about it than I was. So both Nami and I will be at DragonCon um, Labor Day weekend, and we are doing a panel on Grishaverse slash Shadow and Bone, uh, Saturday, September 4th at 1 p.m. It's in Marriott. Uh, the room number is L401 to 403. It's the lobby level of the Marriott. So if anybody who's going to Dragon Con listens to this and is a Grishaverse or Shadow and Bone fan, highly suggest you check out the panel. Uh, I would say get there early because, of course, the rooms are only going to be, I think, at two-thirds capacity. Um but yeah, so our next webcast is actually almost a month from now. It's not until Wednesday, September 22nd. And on that date, we'll be starting with the Devabod trilogy. So for that uh, Wednesday, September 22nd and through um, through October, we'll be covering the Devabod trilogy. And we don't come back to Temeraire, like I mentioned earlier, until November. But that's fine because I'm really excited. Uh, I'm really excited to read Devabod, honestly. Like that's going to be my airplane and travel book next week so yay uh, well, I'm ahead right. of that I gotta go reread David <laughs> I, I, I read the first book and I read two-thirds of the second book and then I, I, honestly uh, we started doing this podcast so I had to stop reading <laughs> <laughs> I mean I get that I've, I've I've been putting off some some reads and rereads um, because of this not that I regret it at all but yeah, so, so Devabod is next, and that'll take us through like the end of September through October. And once again, I'm Tara along with Jonathan. Thank you again for joining us for Sagas and Sass, and we will see you in about a month. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.